Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Our special guest today to chat all things pelvic floor is Jess Jenkins, who is an advanced practice physiotherapist in pelvic health, a clinical and fitness Pilates instructor, and an anti- and postnatal Pilates course educator. Jess, who is known online as the Mama Physio, treats a range of conditions, including all pelvic floor disorders in both women and men, pregnancy-related conditions, and musculoskeletal injuries. Her special interest is anything pre- or postnatal and female pelvic pain. In today's episode, Jess and I chat all things pelvic floor, the impact pregnancy has on a woman's body, the six-week postnatal check, Kegel or pelvic health exercises, ab separation, prolapses, urinary incontinence, and constipation. So let's jump into today's episode with Jess. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. Welcome Jess to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast today. Very excited to have you on. I'm really excited to chat to you. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. And being, what am I now, nearly 38 weeks pregnant at the time of recording, I thought this was a very important topic to get up for lots of our ladies. So I'm very excited to chat to you today about a really, really important topic, which is our pelvic floor. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your career to date and what you've you know been up to lately. Yeah, so I'm a pelvic health physio. So um, I've been a physio for 11 years now. When I graduated, I went straight into private practice and I actually wanted to go a bit more down the sports physio route. But I worked in a private practice where we had a lot of pregnant women and I found myself just really enjoying treating them for pelvic girdle pain and Pilates and mums and bubs and things like that. So I actually went and did my postgrad and upskilled in pelvic floor physio not actually knowing what pelvic floor physio was. And to be honest, like I I still remember coming home and be like telling my partner at the time, like, I've heard this, I've heard this, like I have no idea about these things about childbirth and things like that. So that's kind of how it all started. I was thrown into the deep end and then I really loved it. And then I moved into different roles that were mostly pelvic health specific. So I was in a hospital and a pelvic health clinic for a few years. And then I actually moved to London for three and a half years and worked for a Pilates Institute that trains people internationally. So that's kind of where I really solidified my pre postnatal Pilates overseas and was teaching people in courses and also in the studio. And then I came back to Australia at the start of COVID. And that's kind of when I started my Instagram a bit more, the Mama Physio, which that's not actually a job. This is just my little side hobby. And then I also work in a maternity hospital and I'm in private practice alongside that. Yeah, busy, busy, hey. Good time to move home though, just before COVID. (laughs) I know, at my own accord too. Yeah, nice, (laughs) well-timed. All right, well, let's kick us off, I guess, in starting with the basics. So can you let our listeners know what exactly is our pelvic floor? Where is it? And why is it so important? 
Yeah, so the pelvic floor is essentially the floor of our pelvis. So it's a sling of nerves, muscles, and fascia. I think a lot of people have this assumption that it's just one muscle. And when I get out my diagram or my model and I show them like it's this huge interwined web of things that slings from the front to the back, to the coccyx, back around to the front and goes out to the sides and to the hips as well. A lot of them are quite mind blown with that and the different layers. It has a role in supporting our organs, so kind of like holding them up from underneath as well as a role in bladder and bowels. So it's making sure we're not leaking throughout the day and we can hold on for the toilet as we need. And a role in childbirth so the baby can come through, sexual function, and also like one part of the puzzle for our core complex as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really important muscle, isn't it? <laughs> Very important. <laughs> or gr- group of muscles, a group of everything. Because <laughs> yeah. I remember when I had my first bub, Mia, I went to one of the physio classes. I think it was just termed like pregnancy physio at the local hospital, uh, but it was excellent. And I remember thinking like a lot of my friends had said to me, oh, when you're pregnant, like you'll sneeze and then you'll pee yourself a little bit. And I was like, ha ha, until I got pregnant. And I was like, oh, wow. Then I had a 4.2 kilo baby and I was like, my pelvic floor is very important. <laughs> and at this class, they essentially got four, it was like for the wives and partners and they got four of the dads to step up and they held the sheet out. Like each p- person had a corner of a sheet and essentially the physio started like tossing dumbbells onto the sheet. And she was like, this is essentially what your pelvic floor does. And as the baby grows and presses down on your pelvic floor, you can understand that why some women jump up and down or sneeze, they'll pee themselves a little bit because this is the pressure that the baby's putting on your pelvic floor. And she just continued to like throw on dumbbells and everyone in the room was like horrified. (laughs) And I was like, I've never understood the importance of our pelvic floor more than I have in that exact moment, watching her just like toss dumbbells onto the sheet and the sheet just like buckling under the pressure. Yes. Seriously. And that's the thing, like when people are pregnant, you know, I always say to people, imagine I've given you like a 10, 20 kilo dumbbell or kettlebell or something. And you just had to stand there and hold it. Like most people would probably put it down after a minute or two, but in pregnancy, you don't put that down, you know, that's there. And it's like, it goes onto your pelvis exponentially. So it's actually a lot of pressure. So big role, like pelvic floor just has a really big role in supporting us through pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. And what impact does pregnancy have on a woman's body? Yeah. So I suppose like if you think about if I just gave someone a really heavy kettlebell, they're going to change the way that they're standing to start with. So most people kind of adopt this like really sway back posture or they kind of like hinge back, sway back through the upper back. And then that kind of changes the way that our core complex works with, you know, when we're standing that way, you're almost like hanging off your joints rather than switching and engaging things the right way. So, you know, there's the weight of the baby that can weaken everything, but then the way that you're holding yourself can also change the way your muscles function, or sometimes it makes people grip their pelvic floor a bit more as well. So um, as you can imagine, just with the weight of the baby in pregnancy, that has, that can definitely weaken the pelvic floor, not just the childbirth aspect as well. So I think it just highlights the importance of why you need to keep your, not just your pelvic floor, but your whole body really strong in pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I think about pelvic floor and, and trying to strengthen that, I mean, before I knew a lot more than what I know now, <laughs> um, I would just think, oh, I've got to do my Kegels when I'm pregnant. So what is a Kegel exercise? Why is it important? And is it something we only should do in pregnancy or is it something that like everybody should be doing? 
Yeah, so Kegels is like interchangeably used with pelvic floor exercises. I feel like some people have this assumption that Kegels is just your quick lifts, like you're on, off, on, off, on, off. And I have people coming into practice and they're like, yeah, I do my pelvic floor exercises like 10 times a day. And then they tell me what they're doing and it's just the quick lift aspect. So the when we're saying pelvic floor exercises, it's like strength training for your pelvic floor. So like what we'll do is we'll assess someone's pelvic floor and see what their maximum voluntary contract is and then we'll give them enough reps to fatigue and give them a few sets of that as well and you know if lying down is challenging they'll do most of the exercises in lying down or they'll do it upright so you kind of formulate what's going to be the hardest for them you know it's important to do in pregnancy for the reasons that I mentioned but also like outside of pregnancy too I think the reason there's a big hype around pregnancy is because that's when people start to be a bit symptomatic of pelvic floor issues so it's it's generally like the first time anyone ever really hears about the pelvic floor which is crazy but it you know I always say to people your pelvic floor has skeletal muscle in it so you know if I do lots of bicep curls and then I just stop doing them one day you know, everyone knows that your arm would lose all the muscle tone and probably shrink down a little bit pretty quickly, actually. The same with the pelvic floor. So, you know, there is a need to maintain it. Otherwise, the moment you stop, you could just get weaker and weaker and then you'll have symptoms later in life potentially as well. Yeah, not ideal. <laughs> so, I mean, if if somebody was listening and they were like in their early 20s and they're like, I'm not thinking about kids for like 10 years time, would you be encouraging them to even just be thinking about their pelvic floor at the moment? Or as you said, is it something that as we get a little bit older and more into sort of like our childbearing years, you know, for most people, it's sort of 25, 30s, that sort of thing. Is that then when we want to focus on it more or should we be doing this at all stages of our life? I think all stages of our life. I think in younger people, sometimes there's a tendency to lean towards being overactive and gripping, especially well, what I find is people who suck their stomach in all day. So, you know, at the moment, it's quite fashionable to have midriffs out. So I'm sure everyone's kind of walking around sucking in their belly all day or, you know, wearing tight gym pants and things like that. So that can lean a little bit towards being overactive. But I suppose like when I'm talking about pelvic floor exercises, I'm not just talking about the strengthening component. I'm talking about it being like functional. So can you switch it on? Can you switch it off? If you're aware that you're holding it on during the day, can you then like let go at the end of the day? So yeah, it is really important to be like conscious of it as well, especially, you know, people who do Pilates classes, for example, is like quite a lot of people are doing it at the moment. It's quite trendy. There's, there's a way everyone talks about the pelvic floor in Pilates, but like a lot of my patients who have dysfunctional pelvic floors who are younger are doing Pilates and going on, 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 and then never like forgetting to switching everything off as well. Yeah. And that's funny because uh, when I first got pregnant with my bub, again, like I was like pelvic floor, like first thing that came to my mouth, got to book her with a physio. And I remember going to see her and be like, I think I do these so well. And she said exactly what you said. She's like, you turn it on so well, but it's almost too well. And you're not very good at turning it off. So if that's someone listening like myself, like I was, what would be your top tip to learn how to like turn off your pelvic floor as well? Yeah. And do you know what? That's so good that you actually saw a pelvic floor in your pregnancy. And this is why I always recommend it as well. Like, because you don't know what your pelvic floor is going to be like. I remember when I got my pelvic floor assessed and like, I'm pregnant right now, but this is when I wasn't, this was like back when I did my studies and I genuinely thought I had the strongest pelvic floor and I was doing nothing. Like there was nothing switching on at all. And I was like, so educated on it and things like that. So, you know, 
a lot of the time people aren't contracting it properly. But if someone's really overactive, I think the first thing I would say to someone who's pregnant is to like relax their baby. I feel like just physically seeing the bump drop down makes a huge difference to your pelvic floor relaxing. I think it's it's actually a really easy cue because you can actually see it. And I can see someone standing there and I go like, relax, 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 like let your baby hang out. So that's like the first thing. And then the second thing would be doing lots of, lots of stretches around the pelvis. So like generally a combination of like yoga stretches, hip opening stretches, like child's pose, happy baby, you know, flat frog, things like that are really good for opening up the pelvic floor. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, and then talking about as you said, like it's really great that I saw um, a pelvic health physio as well early on. I also did postpartum as well. So I know that it's always recommended that as women, we go back and we see our doctor at six weeks and Bubby gets a checkup at six weeks, but nobody really talks about then seeing your physio at six weeks. And I had a private OB and I went to see him and I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, yep, you're all good. Like you can go back to your normal doing what you do. I was like, what about exercise? And he's like, cause I hadn't done much besides walking for that six week period. I had a bit of a tear and a big baby. She was vacuumed out. So it was, everything was very sore and swollen to start with. So I wasn't keen to do anything, but I got to my six week checkup with the OB and I was like, I feel a lot better. Can I get back to exercise? Thinking I'll get back to the gym and I'll go do some hit classes. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what you're doing before, it's all fine. And I was like, I probably should. Like, I do remember the, the pelvic health physio saying, come back and see me when you do give birth. And I was like, maybe I'll just book in with her. And I went to see her a week later, didn't do anything in the meantime. And she was like, oh no, like we are nowhere near you going back to doing like hit classes and heavy squats or anything like that. She's like, stick to walking. Here's a couple of exercises. And it was like more stretching stuff. And that was it. And I was like, oh, wow. So on your website, I did see that you advocate that all women should have a postnatal check with a pelvic health physio. Why is this? And why is it not enough that we just get out, you know, doctor clearance at six weeks? Why is it important that we actually go and see a pelvic health physio as well? Yeah. So I suppose like I'm not sure if you're, did your obstetrician check your pelvic floor and stitches when you went for the six week check? Stitches, yes. Pelvic floor, unsure. Yeah. What I find is a lot of people go, like, let's just say they go to their GP instead for their six week check. Normally they just ask them, how are you feeling? How's your pelvic floor feeling? And people go, good, I suppose. And then they go, yeah, okay, you're fine. So I think like a lot of the time, no one's actually checking and seeing if how it's healed and if there's prolapse and if there's weakness and there's scar tissue and things like that. So, you know, I'm huge advocate for pelvic floor checks at around six weeks postnatal. And what I'll be checking is the pelvic floor doing an internal examination if my patient's okay with it. And so, you know, I'll check stitches, I'll check scar tissue. You know, for example, I want to make sure the scar is not sensitive, there's no scar tissue because that can impact returning to penetrative sex later as well, which is really important to people. But I know a lot of people don't really like bring it up when they come into their appointments. And then I'll check the pelvic floor strength for other things like prolapse and all that. And that kind of guides that return to whatever they want to do. You know, some people are fine with just walking and, you know, giving guidance to go back to that. Some people want to get back to weightlifting and things. So it's just depends on that person's goals. And it also depends if they've got symptoms as well. So some people think because I'm not leaking and because I don't have any heaviness or whatever, I don't need to see a pelvic floor physio. So a lot of people don't know what's normal. So they say they're fine and I'll go through all the questions and then they'll be like, oh, actually, do you know what? I do do that. 
or I am constipated, or I don't know, I do go to the toilet every hour. I thought that was normal, for example. So it is really good. And then having that guidance to get back to exercise, because if you look online, like it is so overwhelming. I don't know if you did that after your delivery. Yeah, I did. I did. And I was like, even when I was pregnant, I was like, what are safe exercises to do? And I very much feared even doing my normal weight training during my first pregnancy, but I've kept it up and I'm still up until a couple of weeks ago, we're still doing like, you know, 50 kilo squats, still feeling really, really good. Um, I've only really kind of tapered that off in the last couple of weeks, but I just found the whole exercise and pregnancy and even postpartum the most confusing area. And I think a lot of people trainers themselves, even just to kind of I guess, protect themselves legally. A lot of people were like, don't do my program if you're pregnant or you need some one-on-one advice or that sort of thing. But in my gym, I didn't have one trainer out of the six there that felt confident to train a pregnant woman. So I was like, where do I go? None of the trainers can help me. Nobody online can help me. So I just kind of like did my own thing, but wasn't really training effectively or anything like that. So post my baby, I actually went to the physio that I went, she did postnatal Pilates classes. So that's what I started with until I think about 13 or 14 weeks. And then she sort of gradually told me what I was could do and kind of gradually got back into the gym after that. So I felt a lot more confident just with her guidance as well. Yeah. And so that's what a lot of the time, what will give in terms of guidance or, you know, it depends how much guidance someone wants. So generally I'd say to someone for the first six weeks, you know, I want you to be resting, really honoring that, giving a bit of guidance of what they should expect. Cause I think some people think that the baby's out and they can walk, you know, they can walk two hours the next week and, you know, just giving those realistic expectations. And then from that six to 12 weeks, I don't want anyone doing anything high impact. So no like really heavy lifting, no jumping type exercises, no running, but you use that six weeks as like a rehab program, I suppose, to get yourself to the point this so that when you're at the 12 weeks, then you can slowly and sensibly start getting into those higher impact things. And so, for example, if someone was like, I, like, I prefer to do things at home, I would be making a home program for them that would just be progressive so that when I review them in six weeks time, I'd reassess the pelvic floor and everything and check that they're good to go, to go slowly into their higher impact exercises. But then some people like to come in for classes. So where I work, we've got clinical Pilates too. So sometimes what we'll do is formulate an individual program and they'll do that for the first six weeks. We'll reassess and then make a plan from there. I think like not everyone is ready at that after six weeks of rehab to start going to high impact, but it's a bit of a time frame that we give people just because of that's where tissue healing timeframes kind of come into play. And that's why people say like, where does six weeks come? It's like pulled out of thin air, but it hasn't really been pulled out of thin air because that's when we would expect tissue healing to kind of the first stage to have finished. And then you kind of go into that next stage and that kind of goes on and on from there. Yeah. It's so interesting. And honestly, it took me so much longer than I thought it would. Like I didn't get back to more of my like proper weight training or more that high intensity stuff till six months postpartum. Cause I just didn't feel comfortable or confident doing that. And honestly, I was like, I'm going to go for an hour walk. As soon as I pop out, bub, I could barely sit down with my stitches for two weeks. Like no joke. I was on concert. It was so painful. I was like, I have no idea how people do this. It was so painful. I could not, I could barely walk to the coffee shop, which is like five minutes down the road for the first two or three 
weeks and I couldn't do a, a longer, I'd say like 30, 40, 40 minute walk for probably the first four weeks. So in my mind, it was really like this graded slow, you know, and I didn't have any idea that I'd be doing nothing but, you know, stretching or more Pilates, this low intensity stuff for a good couple of months to start with. I honestly thought I'd be back in the gym and like, you know, post my six week clearance. So I think it's really nice to be having these conversations and for women to know that it's okay for your body to take that extra time to heal. We don't have to dive straight back into it at six weeks. Cause I see a lot of online fitness trainers and they're back in the gym at six weeks. And I was, and I'm just like, Oh wow, that, that was not me at all. <laughs> Yeah. And it's funny because like with what you've explained for your like six week recovery, like that's what I would consider normal. And if I saw someone in pregnancy towards the end and and was kind of talking about the first six weeks and what to expect, that's the type of things I would say, like, you know, you might struggle to sit, you're going to need an ice pack. If you can't sit, like sit on rolled towels, this is how you do it. This is, I would expect it to take up to six weeks to walk 30 minutes because you might feel sore or heavy and whatever. And people don't know that that's normal. And I'll say to them, that's normal. So if you feel that way and you're feeling extra heavy, you're actually just doing too much. So you need to like rest more. Whereas sometimes people, if people don't know that, they message me and they go, Jess, I think I have a prolapse. I need to come in now. And a lot of more often than not, they're just doing too much. So it is really important to kind of like see the physio in pregnancy too, to kind of get those expectations set. Yeah. Amazing. And that's the perfect word to describe it. Like heaviness. That's exactly what I felt like. If I went for a 10 minute walk and was like, Oh, maybe I'll try for 20 minutes today. That's the exact sensation that I felt was just that general heaviness. Um, and like you said, I was like, Oh my goodness. Is it like, is it a prolapse ever? Is something like falling out? But it's just that I hadn't given myself enough time to heal. And in my mind, I just expected my body to go back to exactly what it was able to do beforehand. I was like, I could walk for an hour when I was like 40 weeks pregnant. Why can I not do that two weeks later? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Honestly, I have this conversation like twice a day with patients. So it's so common to think like that. Yeah. I probably think that too. Yeah. yeah. And it's nice to just have this conversation as professionals to know that a lot of what you see on Instagram is smoke and mirrors. And it's like, it is okay that it takes us extra time to heal or this is actually what normal is, not what you see that, you know, million plus influencer on Instagram back in the gym six weeks later doing, you know, hundred kilo deadlifts or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And that's the other thing. Like I always think like, I wonder what their pelvic floor is like, you know, when you see these people doing strong weight six weeks post, because I'm like, no one, like no one I can see can do that. So hope they've got support with them. Hope they've got a team of physios and things behind them. Yeah, definitely. Fingers crossed. Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code Leanne10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now let's get back to our show. 
All right, well, thinking about physio assessments, obviously assessing the pelvic floor is one thing. Another thing I remember my physio did was checking for that ab separation. So why is that ab separation important and what can, or is there anything that we can actually do to improve that during pregnancy? Yeah, so the ab separation is what I would call diastasis recti or a DRAM, I'll call it. So that happens to everyone who's pregnant. And so there is definitely a lot out there of fear mongering about an ab separation and people come in and like they tell me that they've got pelvic floor issues but they're actually not concerned about it they're more concerned about their ab separation so we spend a lot of time going it's completely normal anyone who gets to the end of pregnancy definitely has at least three fingers separation and just setting expectations of what would be normal three to four I'd be pretty confident that if it was like that at the end of pregnancy it would go back to what it was pre-pregnancy in the first six weeks, essentially. So kind of talking about like what's normal there, but then postnatal, you know, the first six weeks is actually the most important into that abdominal separation recovery. So it's actually really good to see a physio in pregnancy to get some tips for the first six weeks to help it recover. So we do know that like there is evidence that wearing support garments can help or tubi grip. So there isn't like you don't need to have a specific brand, just something a bit compressive. Tubi grips that like like a big sock that people might get in the hospital that you pull up to underneath your bra line. Yeah. The physio gave me that in hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good. And then sometimes people have spanks, you know, sometimes it's like tight gym gear and things like that. So that's really good for the first six weeks. And then we actually know as well that if you start doing activation type exercises, so like really low level, like drawing your stomach in, just practicing switching those muscles back on, almost like beginner, beginner Pilates, for example, that can actually help your muscles come back together too. So I think up until like maybe like a year or two ago, I think people were like no exercise at all in the first six weeks. But now I'm pretty comfortable telling patients, you know, you can do, you can lie on the mat, do a little, a few like leg lifts, a few bridges, things like that, just to get some muscles switched on. And then at six weeks when I assess people, like let's just say they have a two finger separation. I am always saying like, don't worry too much now because you're still recovering. You've still got like up until 12 months for things to kind of go back as well. And actually, I think two fingers sounds quite big. Like if, for example, that's quite common for women to come in and have two fingers, but one finger is actually normal. So that's how people have a bit of like a six pat look, I suppose. The recti muscles don't touch in the middle. There's a gap. So if it's two fingers, it's actually only one finger wider than normal. And it's still quite functional. Like people can get a flat stomach with a two finger separation. And I think when I have people with an abdominal separation come in after their baby and I say like, what are your goals? No one really says like, I want to bring the separation together. They're telling me like, I want to have a flat stomach again. So, you know, I'll say to them, you know, the, the way to get a flat stomach again is to start tensioning that abdominal wall. So we need to start doing loading you up and giving you exercises, which are getting those muscles switching back on, which, you know, it actually takes a good like physio or a fitness trainer or something like that to help you with that. Cause I actually find a lot of people don't get loaded up enough. Like I'll see people for like a second opinion for abdominal separation. And, you know, I don't know, there might be six months postnatal and they go, I just don't know why my stomach's not sitting flat yet because I don't have a separation and what's going on. And then I go and they're like, I've done six months of physio 
And then we'll look at their program and they're still doing like beginner level exercises at six months postnatal. And there's no way your abs are going to be like prominent and strong and everything if you're doing beginner level exercises. So there's lots of different factors at play there. I think my main way of addressing it is like load up the abs. Let's do lots of core work. So get that deeper, deeper layer switching on and then load up with the abdominal like crunches and things as well. Yeah, and definitely under the guidance of a qualified expert like yourself, not just randomly YouTubing things at home, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Don't go home and just do lots of sit-ups now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you will regret it later. <laughs> yeah. And with, um, I guess, asking very personally myself, with second, third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, babies, is the ab separation something that takes longer to come back after just one bub? Like say you're on your second, you're on your third, you're on your fourth baby. Does that tend to take a little bit longer in your experience? Well, I suppose like I know that the evidence says the more pregnancies you've had, the more likely you have you're to have one. But what I see clinically is that it tends to be how active someone is. So if you've got a lot of strength and resilience in your abdominal wall, for example, it will have that strength, like you'll regain that strength quite quickly after. So it, I find it tends to actually correlate with how, how active someone was in pregnancy. So if you're quite strong and then afterwards you get back into it, like it's quite easy to get that back. So I think you're quite active. So I feel like in your case, I probably wouldn't be too concerned about it after your second. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel good. <laughs> okay, so it's all really about creating that healthy foundation first, which is what I always say on the podcast is we build the healthy foundation and it sets you up for life. It's not just like, okay, now we've had the baby, now we want to get like ripped and shredded and eat well. It's like, no, we ideally want to have been doing that the whole time, you know, eating well, moving our bodies, strengthening our bodies, that sort of thing. It's something that we want to do, you know, from early teens right through to when we're, you know, 80 plus. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. Because then you only have this like little window where you aren't really doing that much, like in that rest period versus, I don't know, the whole nine months of pregnancy plus like a few months after. And I go to people, of course, your abs are feeling that way. You haven't done any exercise for a year. So you've got to kind of just set expectations. Yeah. Awesome. And then before we mention things like prolapses, so are some women more at risk of prolapses? Is it to do with like the, the bigger babies, more risk of prolapse, or is it something to do with um, the method of delivery? If you've had like a forceps or a vacuum delivery, are you more at risk or is it just something that unfortunately tends to happen to some women? Yeah, there's kind of, so if you look at the, if I take the childbirth factors out of it, genetics is a really big part of prolapse well, a predictive factor, sorry. So for example, if someone comes to me and they're really worried about it, I generally get them to ask their mom or their sisters or their grandma and trying to get a bit of a family history there because it is a lot of it's to do with your collagen. So even people who haven't had babies can get significant prolapses. So it's hard for me to say exactly what type of person, but it's like, it's generally people who are really, really hypermobile. So this, their collagen's really quite stretchy. So the, with just time and aging, they can de- they're more likely to f- develop prolapses. So that's one part. And then age is another factor, which we can't really do anything about that, I suppose, but it is definitely something I see. But then childbirth itself, there are like modifiable risk factors there. So this is when, if I see someone in pregnancy, I'll kind of discuss with them if they're really concerned about prolapse, like, you know, things they can incorporate in their birth plan. So for example, we know that forceps is definitely linked with, is 
has a higher rate of prolapse. That's because, you know, I always say to patients, imagine like the head's, the baby's head's not coming through. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely not going to fit with a head and forceps to come out because that's actually <laughs> like a bigger yeah, thing yeah. to come out. So you can kind of imagine that the, um, I hate using this word, but like the trauma of like pushing this forceps in and then pulling out can damage the pelvic floor. And sometimes the damage, like not everyone gets that. So, you know, I don't want to make everyone who's had forceps be concerned, but it just puts you at increased risk. So that's one thing I'll mention to people in terms of like birth plan. And then we also know that pushing for longer than two hours is a big risk factor as well. And that, that, that is actually one of the reasons in hospitals that they don't like people to push for more than two hours because it isn't really like, I, I think sometimes people feel like there's like a, a clock ticking when they're in labour and they're like, oh no, if I get to two hours, they're going to cut and do an episiotomy and forceps. But actually, if someone pushed for three hours, they're more likely to have a prolapse because they've got extra time of pushing downward, like significant amount of pressure as well. So they're kind of the two main things that I'd be talking about in terms of modifiable things in labour. Yeah. And it's really important just to have that knowledge, isn't it? Because I had a birth plan and at my my first birth with me, it didn't go any anything close to what I ideally would have called my ideal birth at all. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. But even handing that to, you know, the midwife when we got there and my OB, she was like, oh, it's so rare to actually receive a birth plan. She was like, cool, let me read this. We're all on board. We'll help support you, that sort of thing. So I think so many women just go in I just have no idea or just think, oh, I know it's going to hurt, but it'll be cool. Like I'll meet my baby soon. So just having this education. And this is why I love podcasting with experts like yourself, because it's like on my birth plan was very much like, do not touch me with forceps unless it is like a life or death situation kind of thing. <laughs> like that was literally <laughs> on my birth plan. I was like, no forceps. Cause I actually used to work um, alongside the physios in the pelvic health clinic when I used to work at the hospital a couple of years ago. And I, I knew that research and I was like, do not come near me with a pair of forceps. <laughs> um, and I was like, it was, you know, Absolutely. Like it was a last resort, absolute critical medical emergency kind of thing. It was like so clear in bold print on my birth plan. And the other thing was really like, you know, like no interventions and that sort of thing. Although I ended up having like every intervention under the sun, but that's another story. <laughs> but I think having that knowledge and that empowerment, even just to advocate for yourself or have your partner advocate for you within that birthing process is so powerful as well, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I think like, and then it kind of comes down to, you know, the way that people perceive that their birth went actually tends to come down to like how well educated they are about the whole birth process. So winging it and not having a birth plan is definitely not the way to go into labor. I think, I know as much as it sounds scary hearing about these things like, you know, forceps and time and all that, it's actually really important to know because I feel like if it did get to two hours and they're like, look, you know, we're going to have to do this, you understand why as well. But on the note of forceps, like that's already in my birth plan. I've already told my obstetrician, like no forceps. And he's like, you know, we might have to. And I'm like, look, it is only if there is no choice, but um, ideally not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, now we talked about prolapses. I think probably the last thing I really want to touch base with you, Oz, is that I would say that like little embarrassing problem that most mums have postpartum is that little bit of incontinence. So really talking more specifically about urinary incontinence um, and just, you know, laughing too hard or going for a bit of a run and a little bit of pee kind of slips out a little bit. Is that directly related back to the strength of our pelvic floor or is there anything else we can do in terms of incontinence, like in terms of um, urine? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I suppose there's different types of leakage, but I suppose 
the type that we're talking about now would be stress incontinence. So that's like when you leak, when you cough and you sneeze and you exercise and run and things like that. So generally it does come down to strength. Like that's one component of it. And then the other component is what we call bladder neck hypermobility, which just means like how much movement is there in your pelvic floor, for example. So in early days postnatal, when someone's pelvic floor is still retracting, there's quite a lot of movement there. So if someone went for a run at six weeks postnatal, they're probably going to feel like their pelvic floor is a bit of like a trampoline and bouncing up and down. And that movement up and down can actually make you leak essentially it kind of open it pulls the bladder down and can kind of open the urethra a bit and then you can let a little bit of urine out so when we're thinking about like addressing this I suppose like strengthening the pelvic floor will help strengthen but we're also looking to get the area a bit more not rigid but just more solid I suppose and more functional and then if for example we kind of reach this point where strength isn't really going to address that that's when, you know, there might be a little bit of a prolapse at play that's kind of giving that movement. And that's when we might consider like a a pessary or something like that as well. And it might just be a short-term thing, but it, it, like, it's actually quite a good tool to use in the postpartum period, just because you feel instant relief with it. But yeah, pelvic floor exercise is definitely one of the main things that I would recommend. Also, having a good awareness of your pelvic floor and actually trying to switch it on before you cough, before you sneeze, before you lift, because I think for me that seems like a bit of common sense, but it's actually not common sense for the majority of the people I see because, you know, they tell me they're leaking when they cough and when they're sick and I go, are you squeezing your pelvic floor? And they go, no, I just cross my legs. And I go, no, you don't cross your legs. You're meant to squeeze your pelvic floor. And once I teach them that, like, honestly, half of them come back and they're like, oh, I don't leak anymore. That's great. (laughs) That's so funny because we do a lot of walking, like my hubby and I with our little girl. And just even during pregnancy, like each time, like if I was sick or I got a bit of hay fever or something like that, we'd be walking and I'd just randomly stop and then like, tighten my pelvic floor and then sneeze or something or have a little cough or something. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just have to stop and sneeze and then I'm good to keep going. And he's like, he just doesn't get it. I'm like, I just have to do this. You don't understand. (laughs) And I'm like, I just can't physically like keep walking and tighten my pelvic floor at the same time. Like to me, I have to stop, like actually really think about it, like that, whatever, that mind muscle connection and then have a sneeze and then continue on or it just doesn't end well. It ends, it's like that, um, what is it, like rubbing your stomach, patting your head thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I really have to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny. But, yeah, you're right, like unless people really talk about it or we just think, oh, this is normal, like I'm pregnant, like a little bit of pee slips out, that's totally normal. Or I'll just, as you said, like cross my legs and hope for the best if I'm sick and I'm coughing or I'm sneezing. Uh, But there are definitely things that can help a little bit more than other things. (laughs) Yeah, there's something, there's things you can do about it. That's the main thing. No need to put up with it. Absolutely. And this is where like pelvic health physios are so important, so crucial to not only the journey within pregnancy, but also the postpartum journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, anything else to wrap up the podcast that you feel like our listeners would benefit from, from, I guess, like a women's health or a pelvic floor perspective? Yeah, I suppose like one aspect that I think is really important, which I'll just throw in here because people don't really like talking about it, is what their bowels are like as well. There is a bit of like a golden rule with pelvic floor physio that you sort the bowels first and then the bladder tends to sort itself out. And I didn't actually mention this with the leaking, but if someone's constipated, it'll make you leak as well. So always really important to check that, you know, 
it is really common to be constipated in pregnancy and postnatal just because of so many factors and hormones and breastfeeding and loads of different things. But I think don't be afraid to speak to your physio, speak to your midwife, speak to your GP about that and manage it because you do not have to put up with it because it's actually, it's horrible to deal with. So that's probably my main piece of advice. And then actually I've got one more. Don't be afraid to go seek help and don't feel like you have to have symptoms to go see a physio. And there's absolutely no need to be embarrassed because I feel like people come in and they, they are like, oh, I can't believe I'm telling you this. Or they're telling me about like, you know, they've got stitches and they have pain with sex after like childbirth and things like that. And they're so embarrassed and they're so scared to talk about it. And I'm like, do you know what? You're the third person today that has come in and talk to me about this. So you're not alone. And I think that's the other thing. It's you're not alone in this. There's a lot of people out there. It's it's more common than you'd think. You know, we've heard it all. So I don't think I've had anyone tell me anything really crazy out there because it's, you know, I've been working in this industry for 11 years. So I've, I've, I've heard a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. And even when you're mentioning like things people don't talk about, like constipation, that's one of the first things I ask all my clients about is like, how are your bowels? And it's so funny because I like can't make eye contact. They like look at the ground and I'm like, it's okay. I talk about poop all day long. Like just hit me with it. I've heard it all before. Like don't even stress. But that's a tip I will have for anyone who is currently pregnant. When you're packing your labor bag, absolutely throw in a little bit of psyllium husk or metamucil or order prawns with your breakfast. Like when, oh, sorry, not prawns, prunes, not prawns, yes, prunes. Not prawns. Definitely. We'll blame baby brain. Prunes with your breakfast or a little bit of pear juice or something to help your bowels get going. Because as you said, it's the hormones, it's the pressure of the baby. It's You might not be eating as well as you would like in that early postpartum period, but it's also pain medication as well. I religiously was like Panadol Neurofen, Panadol Neurofen for two to three weeks because my pain level was that bad and I have quite a pay, high pain threshold. So I needed quite a lot of, uh, a little bit of help from like a fiber supplementation perspective as well. And a lot of people don't understand that pain meds can actually make constipation a lot worse as well and if you're straining and you're constipated that can then lead to hemorrhoids can lead to like anal fissures like it's a whole nother range of problems on top of the whole recovery taking care of a newborn trying to survive that as well so throw some fiber supplements into your labor bag or into your hospital bag you, you can thank us later <laughs> Definitely. Do you know, it's really funny because on my like keychain, I have the Bristol stool chart, like yeah. the poop chart. I like get it up and I show people and so many people are like, oh, like that <laughs> they have to tell, tell me. I'm like, I ask every single patient this. So, uh, you know, don't feel ashamed. So um, yeah, we talk about poo all day. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, it's so common, like as a health professional, with what you and I do, like dietitian, physio talking about poop, but it's so funny how so many people have never even looked in the toilet bowl to know what consistency their poo is. Or people ask me, how much water do I drink a day? I'm like, what color is your urine? They're like, what? I'm like, the color of your urine would dictate how hydrated you are. They're like, uh, I don't look at my pee. I'm like, you should. <laughs> it's just one of those things that we don't talk about as a society. So people think, oh, it's normal. I've had people who come in and they go, oh yeah, you know, I, I do a bowel motion every one to two weeks. I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, that's just me. That's normal. No, no that's not normal. Just because that's you doesn't actually make that normal. So yeah, it's again, nice to talk about these topics that I'm sure people are like listening to the podcast in the car, cringing, being like, oh my gosh, Jess and Leanna talking about bowel motions, <laughs> but it's really important stuff, isn't it? It is so important. Yeah. 
Wonderful. All right, Jess. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people book in for a consultation with you? Or um, I think you do some online Pilates as well, don't you? Where can we find that sort of stuff? So my website is themamaphysio.com.au. And so there's a link there to book online with me. And, you know, I'm located in Melbourne, so you can book face-to-face appointments with me, but I also do telehealth too. But I've also added a tab on my website to find a physio just because I had so many people reaching out and I just have a really long wait list already. So just to help people find people closer to home, I want everyone to have access to physio. I don't want to be selfish about it, but have a look on my website and there's access to everything on there. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for joining us Um, and your social media profiles. We didn't say that. We'd love to give you a follow on socials. What's your headings? Yes, it's at the.mama.physio. Amazing. And I'll add that to the show notes as well so everyone can very quickly and easily go give you a follow on Instagram. Great. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you, Jess, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, I had a great time chatting to you.